1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and today's show, Ron, I'm excited we have our Free Rider Friday going back to February.
2: <laughs> it's going to be
1: great, Ed. Yeah, we had to bounce some things around because of scheduling conflicts. We had our uh, episode with Teen So, who was awesome. Was and good. then last week we were live at the 90 Minds conference. So we're doing our Free Rider Friday a little bit late. So then we have Free Rider Friday is going to be again at the end of March. So we got Free Rider Fridays twice within the same calendar month. One of those rare occurrences, sort of like a blue moon, so to speak.
2: Haley's comet. And how how cool was it to be in uh, San Diego at the 90 Minds conference? That was great. Doing it that. was it
1: was outstanding. I love doing live shows. There's just an extra energy about it. Not that I don't, you know, I love doing the show with you too, Ron, but but it's uh, there's something about being in front of an audience that kind of amps it up a little bit.
2: Oh, well, for sure. Especially when you get great questions and man, they're, they're they were all great questions. They really were. Of course, they really all really were. All on the subscription business model, which you did a session on at the conference. But, and I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what we did in San Diego that was the most important thing. Oh, yeah, we went to Nobu. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be buried there. So I'm. <laughs> am <laughs> giving you durable power of attorney. I'm going to sign it over to you. That's where I want to be buried. No boo. No boo.
1: All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not a, there are worse places to be buried. That's for sure. Oh, that was just
2: unbelievable
1: food. It was so good. And here's the thing. They didn't even have the two favorite dishes that we wanted. And it was still awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We. I think we tried some new stuff that we'd never had before. And uh, it's just always just amazing. Yep. Great stuff. all
1: right you ready to free ride you go for it you opened all right i opened so i'll go first have you heard about this one ron their apple is closing two stores in texas no i did not hear that yes two of apple's retail stores and they're in the same county that i'm in collin county are being closed now It is not because these stores aren't jam-packed whenever they are open. I have been to both locations and can tell you that rarely can you find a time when you can get in there and talk to a genius bar with any less than an hour, uh, better off making an appointment without question, right? So it has nothing to do with the fact that these stores aren't doing extraordinarily well from a, a retail standpoint, you want to hazard a guess as to why they're closing? Something to do with regulation. Close, very close, not quite, but close. Ready? Mm-hmm. Patent trolls. Turns out that the East District of Texas of the Federal Court is the notorious for patent trolls. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinarily friendly. I'm I'm sure you've seen some cases that have come through the Eastern District uh, in Texas. And it's extraordinarily friend- friendly to these companies. And uh, for the audience members that don't know, a patent troll is basically the business model is they buy up patents that aren't being used or enforced or have some kind of technology that's close to some other technology that another company is using. And then they just pretty much sue the people who are using it. And that's the business model. It's that's the the business model is actually just suing other people. That's all they really do right? So they don't really make anything, don't create anything. They just buy up patents that others have and then sue the people who potentially are, are running afoul of those. And this Eastern District in Texas, it, apparently you can get a real quick hearing on them. They are very friendly toward moving things. And of course, most of these end up settling before they get any further because it's very ex- extraordinarily expensive. Well, the uh, while back, the Supreme Court and in a case that I could not find uh, the 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 name of, but what they did was they passed a law that said that the company that they s- sued because people were just coming to eastern Texas and and uh, suing people here, right? But this this uh, Supreme Court decision said no 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 they has one one of the companies at least has to have, or the the company that you're suing I should say has to have nexus, mm. in in East Texas, and. These two stores, the shops at Willow Bend and Stonebriar Center in Collin County, they're uh, the f- two of the fastest-growing counties in the country, Ron. Right? And these are extraordinary malls. They're just they're beautiful, sure. right? But they are in Collin County, which is in this eastern district, and they have to, And Apple is closing these stores because and be, they, because what what's happening is they're getting sued by people in the eastern district court.
2: And, and and it's a physical nexus. Yep. Yep, physical wow. nexus. Because I guess the next level of argument is well, Apple sells things to Collin County virtually, so they have nexus.
1: Correct. So there'll be all kinds of other other like, things that there. this might bring up. Do you know, do they have anybody who lives there, right? <laughs> Which I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah. yes. no, no, you're laughing, but
2: the, no, part I don't. Of The problem no. is if somebody lives there and works from home. Yeah. Virtual. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, I know. Well, look at Wayfair. Look what Wayfair mm-hmm. did. Yep. You don't have to be physically present. You just have to sell something into the state. And you've got Nexus for Wayfair purposes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing.
1: So wow. if you can believe now, I what, unbeknownst to me, and I talked to a, a friend of mine who has this, there's apparently a cottage industry here in my my county of get this lawyers who testify or expert witnesses I should say who testify in these cases mm. so a lot of the people who are called as expert witnesses live in the area here because it's easy for them to get to court yep so i guess i guess i guess that's a plus so it's reduces there's always is unseen
2: <laughs> reduces their chargeable time of driving and traveling <laughs> so but i i'm just blown away by
1: this can you i mean it's just unbelievable really and there, there's a lot of people who are pretty dang upset about this including you know the Dallas morning news had a big editorial in fact this morning about this i i i knew about it last week but you know it's like wh- what the heck's going on here oh
2: wow. It reminds me of, what's the county, Ed, in, in Illinois, Cook County, where mm-hmm. all the lawyers go to, you know, like, tort cases and things because they've got real liberal judges and just hand out awards left and right.
1: No, there's even some out by you in the, what is it, the Sixth Circuit? Ninth. Ninth Circuit? Yes, ninth
2: circuit. the most yep. overturned circuit in the country. That <laughs> one. Yeah, we call it the Ninth Circus out here, affectionately. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I did not hear about that yep That's that blows me. you away okay well since you opened with Apple let me uh, get a related piece in here we're at peak smartphone Ed of course <laughs> peak of course. smartphone er, yes bad news for Apple but good news for humanity so smartphones sold in 2018 will be slightly lower than 17 The industry's first ever annual decline, leveling off at about 1.4 billion units a year. It's good news for humanity. Less carbon footprint, blah, blah, blah. I won't even go there. Um, Nearly 4 billion of the 5.5 billion adults on the planet now have a smartphone. And get this, here's some updated numbers, because we always talk about this number, and you know how we say we can't we we can't really figure it out because different analysts have different projections. Here's what the economist says Apple has thirteen percent of the smartphone users worldwide. It captures almost all of the industry's profits. But the the reason that we're at well there's a few different reasons were peak smartphone. But first off everybody has one. That's everybody why. Has, everybody <laughs> has one. That's right. It's a welcome sign that this transformative technology has become universal, basically. Right. Uh, and of course, you know, last summer, remember when Apple passed a market valuation of one billion, and then in November of last year it went the other way. It passed the trillion, I'm sorry, trillion. Uh, and then, of course, it passed the trillion mark going down in November. <laughs> uh, but And, of course, they've cut their revenue forecasts for the smartphone, and their shares plunged 10% on that news. Mr. Cook, CEO of Apple, blamed the economic slowdown in China, which accounts for about 18% of Apple's sales. Um, global smartphone sales fell in each of the past four quarters. Uh, And they're kind of equating this to, you know, peak computer, you know, PCs kind of hit a peak and then started going down. Similar cycle is happening also because just, you know, people are uh, replacing their smartphones uh, farther apart than they used to Uh, from average of 26 months to 39 months. Um, Apple has doubled down on the strategy of expensive phones, according to the economist, squeezing its customers. Can make up for lower volumes. Oh, how is selling an iPhone XX squeezing your customer? But then, you know, uh, their most expensive iPhone, by the way, is selling better than their plain one. <laughs> so explain that with the law of demand. I uh, can't explain it because I got one. So there you right. go. Uh, what is it? The I, uh, the uh, iPhone XS XX yeah. XS Max, right?
1: Oh well, you know what? You know what? I I don't have the Max, so that's not true. I had the
2: the the everything but the Max. The the XS. Yeah, yeah the, the the max is like $100 more. It starts right. at, at $1,100. iPhone sales, are about 59% of Apple's $63 billion in revenue, at least for the third quarter of 2018. The services division, though, is ramping up. And we've talked about this before. It's about 16% of Apple's revenue. Mr. Cook wants it to double by 2020. So that's all the iTunes and and you know all the apps and all the other su- like your subscription, Apple Care, oh, all that. Um, they may launch a TV streaming service later this year. Um, the Apple Watch, according to an analyst, is very profitable and it dominates the market for smart watches. And uh, a lot of speculation is because they're kind of dipping their toe into the health. Uh, care you know it'll track your heart and there's medical devices coming out that now work with the smartphone and all that android by the way has 85 percent of the smartphone market globally wow (laughs) and they, you can get you can get uh, phones with that system anywhere from 100 bucks you know up a thousand dollars um so it's it's just really um really interesting but I, i just so there's our new updated statistic. They are 13% market share and nearly 100% of the entire worldwide industry profits.
1: I would I would dispute that last number, but not from the way that most people would. Most people would say, well, that's you know, I would dispute it. I would say that they're probably 125% 20%. of the profit.
2: And we have seen that projection by some analysts as well. Correct. And I'm, and I'm sure... That there, there might be something to that. Very, very much so. Very right. Because so, right. I
1: think, I think what what happens is, is that there are there are people who are who are selling a lot of their phones at a, a loss. Yep. And that that that's not factored into this number because they're they're just you know considered to be break even. But the reality is is that they're they're lost. So therefore, Apple has greater than a hundred percent of the profit in the in the sector.
2: Right. Right. No, you're probably right on that, but. Either way, I I didn't realize it was only thirteen percent. I thought it was more like twenty percent, twenty five percent worldwide market well, share.
1: Well, it was, it was, it was higher. It was as high as almost as thirty percent, but it's come down, and that's and that's why Apple was considered to be in trouble at one point because the the people who are in market share mythers, right, which are like flat earthers as far as I'm concerned, are uh, get all uh, get upset when people lose market share.
2: Well, but. it's interesting, Ed. They have a chart in here that shows all the way back to 2014, the market share, and Apple's darn near a straight line.
1: It's, yeah, no, no, but it has to go back farther than that. Yeah. Remember, that the iPhone came out in Seven what, or,
2: 2007. So yeah,
1: Something, yeah, yeah. No,
2: you're right. But um, still, really interesting. And uh, wow, we're up against our first break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to send an email to Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at Verisage.com. Check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors.
3: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv.
4: Tune in now. E
5: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise and free riding on Friday. Ron, uh, do you watch the Oscars?
2: No. Really? I'm shocked. No, no interest whatsoever. No,
1: okay. Well, I don't watch it either. But no. I will I will say this though. <laughs> oh, okay. So I don't feel so bad. <laughs> no, I don't watch bad. No, I don't watch it either. But there was <laughs> there was a there was a commercial that got some some um, buzz in social media and it was for Chick-fil-A. Right, and the Chick Fil A commercial—you know—they're very creative. All the the cows and stuff, right? And eat more chicken, blah blah blah. And they they did do a really really nice job. Well, the 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 this background song was the Jefferson Starship song. Nothing's going to stop us now,
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: right? Which was written by Grace Slick. Right, 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 right. And of course, you know, so, so this was a little bit of controversy because Chick Fil A has this reputation for the, its owner, not the company, but the owner. I think his name is Cathay, right? Dan T. Cathay, and it's yeah. pronounced Cathay, not Kathy, right? right. And he he has uh, set, spent a lot of his own personal money uh, funding in, in organizations that are against gay marriage, and one call one called Win Win Shape, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they define marriage as one man, one woman, and all of the, this kind of thing. Now, of course, he had never, and they've never used corporate funds. They've only used their personal money. But, of course, that is enough for some people to be upset with them and call for boycotts, et cetera. So when it turns out that Grace Slicks, who is her, herself very much a supporter of uh, um, LGBT activities, it would, people were surprised by this, Right. Mm-hmm. So they had an interview with her and this is in Forbes and they asked when they asked her so you know what what the heck is going on here and she's like well at first I was like blank no <laughs> right there's no way I'm going to but she says but then I thought about it and she decided yep I'm going to I'm going to do it and here's why she has decided to donate every dime that she received as part of this royalty for the use of the song to Uh, lgbt charities especially those that are fighting for uh marital rights right right and i just thought this is just the greatest example perhaps ever of the wonders of free market capitalism right this notion and that was always brought out in the essay i pencil that people could in very very much in this case not like one another yet free market capitalism brings them together because they both win in the transaction and if ever there was a transaction that illustrates this I have to think that this is it right I mean it's just the almost the perfect example of win-win on both sides and both walk away happy and yet, it just doesn't seem like it could even be possible, but it's capitalism that brought Grey Slick and Chick Fil A together.
2: And what's even better about that is, you know, the joke when the the, the kid tells his parents, uh, yeah, tells his dad or whatever, you know, the the young guy in college says, oh, dad, I'm I'm going to go vote today. I'll be canceling your vote." I, I mean, democracy zero sum. But it's, so I can cancel your vote, but here's the problem. When things are implemented, somebody's unhappy, and in this case, both sides are happy, and that doesn't happen with politics.
1: Yep. Yep. Politics is zero-sum. Elections are zero-sum, but and so are wonders see policy, are... policy yeah. implementations, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. But here, both can have what they want.
2: Yeah. that's well, it's... It, it is it's so counterintuitive and, and miraculous it's a miracle as hayek said
1: it, it truly is miraculous and I, but again can't i honestly cannot think of a much better example than this <laughs> so
2: <laughs> the only one i can think of that kind of comes close is uh chrissy hines the pretenders uh rush uses one of her songs she can't stand rush but and she didn't even know it and of course, you know, he paid the royalties to that institution, wherever you pay those royalties. BMI uh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and come to find out, <laughs> Herb, Chrissy Hines' parents are big ditto heads. <laughs> well, there you go. So, uh, <clears throat> all right. So, listen, I you know, uh, for a long time, I've thought that Herb Kelleher was probably one of the best CEOs all time history.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: From Southwest Airlines. Well, of course, he passed away January 3rd, aged 87. And we haven't really said anything about that yet, but it was thought it was time to do it. Because he didn't get into our, our show of folks we lost because we lost him this year. Right, uh, right. But I didn't realize he was born in New Jersey, studied English and philosophy. Uh, and then he went, of course, to law school at New York University and became a lawyer. Um, and then, of course... As a practicing lawyer, he met a client, uh, and that's when the commuter airline idea was was kind of born. You know, he liked to tell it was born on the back of a cocktail napkin, and that took on a, you know, a whole myth, just like the uh, Laffer curve was drawn on a cocktail napkin, which actually did happen. Apparently, this didn't, but. Traveling between Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio was incredibly inconvenient and expensive at the time. This was in the '70s, or or maybe the '60s. It doesn't say. Yeah, '60s. Sorry. In November, so he puts up ten grand with this client on November twenty seventh, nineteen sixty seven. He filed Southwest's application to fly between the three cities, and it had within a day, within a day, Braniff Trans Texas. And Continental applied for a restraining order to stop Southwest from taking to the skies, arguing that Texas was perfectly served by existing airlines. (laughs) What's that certificate of need? You know, that... Uh, yeah. yeah,
1: hospitals need hospitals. that. If you want to open up another hospital, you have another to get permission bathroom. from all the other hospitals. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. You think there'd be like a conflict? You know, if you had to uh, petition Burger King owners if a McDonald's should be able to open up, but
1: well, moving companies, believe it or not, are like that. Yes, like if you yes. want to open up another moving company, you have to get permission of the others in the in the area. That's
2: ridiculous. You know what? The certificates in need go right in line with occupational licensing. Oh some, yeah, some some of these occupations even have the ability. You have to file a certificate of need, and then the occupational group will go and lobby. No, we don't need another, you know, whatever it is—a uh, t- tour operator or whatever. So, if four years, four years through the courts: the state district court in Austin, the state court of civil appeals, the Texas Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court. So. On the night before one final hearing, and I've never heard this story before, the CEO of Southwest calls up Herb because he's now the general counsel, right? And he's battling all these lawsuits, trying to get their planes in the sky. And they're scheduled to take off that night, their first plane. And the CEO tells Kelleher, the sheriff might come out, and and you know, with a with an order telling us we can't fly. And Kelleher tells the guy you roll right over the son of a bitch and leave our tire tracks on his uniform. If you have to, (laughs) 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 the plane took off. (laughs) Um, but those legal battles, you know, kind of forged the Southwest culture. And, uh, You know, he became chairman in 78. This is Herb Kelleher and CEO in 1981. Um, But another story that cracked me up is one airline ran an ad that claimed that Southwest was a cheap carrier. So Herb Kelleher had himself filmed with a bag over his head, saying the airline was prepared to offer the same to any mortified passenger. (laughs) 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 So, oh, man, you know, Southwest made a profit. For forty-five straight years, yeah, because uh, you talk about innovating the business model, they did it point to point, one, pl- one type of plane, all of that. But just you know, what I what I really admired about reading about this guy, kind of like Stanley Marcus, uh, Neiman Marcus, also from Dallas, um, he would put his people first before his customers, and yeah. he didn't grow for the sake of growth. I mean, the airline grew, obviously. But that was not their focus. It was never growth for the sake of growth. It was never about being big, having market share, none of that. It was about helping, you know, a specific defined niche in that in that uh, sector. And they did it.
1: Yeah, they sure did and did a great job with it. It, it, Interesting, though, I, I find their story fascinating, but I won't fly them. I won't
2: either. I can't stand them. <laughs> I used to love them. I used to love them. But, then, you know, you, you take four hops and start landing in, you know, wheat fields to pick people up. And I just got really frustrated that you couldn't fly directly anywhere on this airline.
1: Well, and, you know, part of that was also regulation, too, here in Texas, right? The Right sure. Amendment.
2: Right. Right. Now, where those, you were, ha- those were wiped out, right? Yes.
1: Yes. In, in fact, I think we talked about this on a previous Free Rider That's Friday because it was it was it was about uh, I think it was almost a full year ago because they ran a great commercial down here. You know, the 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 airport in Dallas is Love Field. Yeah. And when the right amendment was finally repealed, but just quickly, the right amendment forced uh, anyone taking off or landing. Well, I'm sorry, to anyone taking off it should be taking off from. No, or landing. Yeah, it, it in <laughs> Dallas had to and let, had to go to DFW airport. And so if you were coming from Dallas, you had to touch down in a nearby in, in one in, in somewhere else in Texas or in one of the adjoining states. Right, right, right. And that you had so that's why there were so many hops that were involved in in flying in and out of Dallas on, on Southwest. Now when that went away, they ran this great commercial, and it was was the Beatles, all you need is love. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, which is the, the allusion to love field. You know, all you need all you need to do is go to love, right? So, right, which is right. really, really, really well played from, by, by the, uh, the advertising agency <laughs> handling the Southwest account. So, I thought that was great. But, yeah, Kelleher is a, a fantastic, fantastic guy. In fact, if we can, I'm going to try and dig up a, a, a picture that my wife has w- with him. Mm. Uh, she she met him a long time ago, probably tw- close to twenty years ago, I would guess, and and had the opportunity to chat with him. And, and yeah, some he did he just did a, uh, some incredible things at his organization, including, like you said, put the customers first. I'm, I'm sorry, put uh, people first over customers. To the tune of writing e- e- notes and emails to them saying, "Don't fly us anymore."
2: Right, right. I remember one lady kept complaining, and the and the crew just couldn't please this woman. She was kind of like a frequent flyer, but she would complain after every trip. And they finally kicked kicked uh, her latest letter, you know, up to Kelleher, and he wrote, "Dear Mrs. Crabapple, we'll miss you and love her." <laughs> they basically, fired her, and of course, they reprinted that in the Southwest newsletter. And uh, I think the morale of his his team did it soared. Here's yeah. the CEO standing up for us. You know, we couldn't please this woman, and he knows that we tried.
1: And here's a great example, though, but notoriously low low payers, low wages, yes. lower wages. Yep. I mean, it known throughout the industry that if you get a job at Southwest, you are not – it, it's the pleasure of working there.
2: Yep, and, and not unusual. When I did fly them, sometimes, I'm, and you've probably seen it too, the pilots are helping cleaning the plane. Oh yeah, it's kind of unusual.
1: uh, but yeah, like, as in, I've only seen it on Southwest. So there you yes. go. All right. Well, we're up against our next break. Want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to askTsoe at Verisage.com. Of course, there's show notes and previews to upcoming shows at the website, The Soul of Enterprise. The Patreon site now available. So patreon.com slash TSOE for those of you who want to subscribe and hear our shows commercial free as well as bonus episodes that we do. But right now, a word from our
4: For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE
5: We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
1: And back live on The Soul of Enterprise on Free Rider Friday. Ron, I'm going to jump to politics. And this one's... Okay, it's probably a lot convoluted. So, po- if you're if you're not into politics, you can probably just you know skip the ne- the segment here. Just let you know this is very very wonky. All right? Oh, good. We like. But, wonky. Yeah, and I know you like won- wonky. So, but then uh, you and I like wonky. <laughs> so there is a movement, uh, a website out there called nationalpopularvote.com. dot mm-hmm. Right. You're aware of this, right? Yeah. This I- idea that what what this group wants to do is Pass in the different state legislatures the agreement which is called a compact of states, which is completely constitutional. And right? it's part of, in fact, there's a lot of famous ones like the port authority of New York and New Jersey is right. a constitutional compact of states. That's how, how, you know, both New York and New Jersey run the ports in both states through a, a, a this quasi agreement that they have so that it's, it's not confusing because the, the states are so close together and a lot, lots of, for lots of, I think good reasons. Mm-hmm. But this one is a compact of states that said, if, who or who, wh- whoever, whichever ca- presidential candidate wins the national popular vote, the the state will will deem its electoral votes to that candidate, regardless of who wins that individual state. Right. Okay. So, say, uh, 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 let's pick. I'm just going to pick one. All right. Um, uh, n- n- Maryland. Right. Maryland is won by the Republican candidate. But the national popular vote is won by a Democrat. Therefore, Maryland's votes, electoral votes, will go to the Democrat. Right. right. Not pro now, race, all of them. All of them. <clears throat> just all of them across the board. Now, in theory, this, is, this has been enacted into law in 12 states with 172 electoral votes. Right. California, Connecticut, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. Mm-hmm. There's a, if it passes in states with 98 more electoral votes because what they have to do is they have to get to the magic 270. Yep. Right? And this becomes law, then regardless of what the constitution says, whoever wins the national popular vote will be the president because by default, if the whoever wins the national popular vote will get 270 popular votes because of this pledge. Right? Yep. Okay. So this is, I think, a very interesting thing. I would be against it. I don't know whether it's going to happen. There are a lot of states that that do have, I think, 11 additional states right now have the legislation out there. I can't see how many states that are smaller would want to do this, but mm-hmm. I suppose it's, it's popular. But now, that having been explained, now this is where it's going to get wonky. So the question I have is... Why is it that if you were to ask the majority of the people, my guess would be who are in favor of this national popular vote, right, mm-hmm. what their position is on protection of the minorities, mm-hmm. right? What should what should what should governments do to protect minorities? They would all say that we need we certainly need those protections. Right. We need protections for, you know, whether it's women or African-Americans or or Native Americans or whomever that minorities need protecting. Right. Except when it's a minority (laughs) in the electoral college. Right. 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 Which makes no sense because here here we're it, it, this is where this comes from. Right. This notion that we are in the United States, we are a republic, not a democracy. And the reason for the Electoral College is specifically to protect the rights of minorities. That that's the intended purpose. So I just I just find this completely at odds with what they truly believe in. I mean, I think this is a reaction to the fact that it's the last, you know, in the last, what, six elections it's happened twice, including obviously Donald Trump, right? Right. And and that they're upset by this. And I get it, but it can easily happen the other way, right? Sure. It's, it's not that, they, you know, they've got, it's, it's, so, so I, I think this is dangerous. But the, now the next layer I want to add to this is, well, if this compact of states thing is such a great idea. Why doesn't all of the states that i aforementioned, right, I mean, if you love, read them off again, California, Connecticut, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington create a compact of states around nationalizing or at least compact of state healthcare? health care? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Or Medicare for all. And what that would do is that those states would then become de facto Medicare for all states. They would take whatever money that they got from Medicaid right now and sink it into whatever they wanted to do locally from a healthcare perspective. And they could leave the other states alone. Why is it that it is ins- it's insisted that for, I guess, this special reason of health care that we have to have it throughout the country, and not in a compact of states arrangement. I I, I really think that, that's, that that should be something that they would push for and my my answer my my question would be why why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they pursue that? Because actually for this, for that particular thing, for healthcare, they don't need 270 anything. Right? They can just it can be two states that enter into a compact of states. It can be New York and California that do it. And if the New York and California did it, and Ohio, New Jersey, Massachusetts, some of the high the majority of people, quote unquote, would be covered under this Medicare for all scheme. And there you'd have it. And you don't even you don't even need to
2: bring it to Congress. You're trying to give them ideas, Ed? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I, you know maybe they haven't thought of it and you just gave it to them
1: <laughs> well my guess is that, that that somebody has thought of it but for some reason that's unacceptable and that's really that's why i'm questioning i can't i'm not that smart ron i'm a relatively smart guy but i can't be the oh
2: having first thought of this well let me ask you this back to the the electoral college yeah. um have you read anything by legal Analysts like Federal Society, Cato, is there? Would there be a legal challenge if the if enough states got to the two seventy magic number? I mean, would this be challenged?
1: It could. It could be challenged. I mean, but it would have. First of all, it would have to happen, right? Because there would have to be voters. What it would be? There would have to be voters in a state where the majority of the state voted one way and. The delegates got, or the electoral, de- the college, uh, college, uh, or the electors got, got pledged the other way because right. nobody would have standing to sue, right well, until yes. that happened.
2: I mean, standing's an interesting issue, though, right? I mean, who's got standing? I mean, that a, that a, itself, vo-
1: a voter who said that they voted for somebody else, yeah, right? It said that my my vote, my vote should have counted toward this, and we then the state went, you know, Wisconsin went this way, but yet because of this law, it got pledged the other way, and it's unconstitutional,
2: Those, right? Those twelve states that enacted it. Has this happened since like the sixteen election or has this been going on for years?
1: Um, I think it's relatively new, but it doesn't go into effect until they get to seventy. So right, that's the right.
2: other part of it. So it's never happened that one like one or two of these states actually pledged all their
1: well, no, because they wouldn't want that. Because then, then, then what would happen is then, then there would be standing in one of those states, and there would be a lawsuit, perhaps, before the trigger got pulled on it.
2: Right, right, right. Well, I, 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 I need, I need to get some legal analysis on, in on this, <laughs> Roger Pilon. You know, I uh, want some lawyers in on this. Well, see, here's the thing, though. It is
1: pretty much constant. I know a couple of things that's definitely constitutional is one one that states can divide up the, the get, can uh, can uh, decide on how they pledge their electors in any way. That's completely up to them. That's true, because there are a couple of states, two or three of them, I think, that that do allow for the splitting based on percentage of the vote. So if, you know, vote if, they, right. if they have 12 votes and it's, it's like f- roughly 50, 50, each of them would get six votes. Right, right, right.
2: But it it so, was so counter to the precepts and the spirit of the Electoral College that it just seems to me like it would be unconstitutional.
1: Right. Well, even all of these laws that 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 say, hey, you know, if, if you know, California votes for Democrats, all of the electors must vote for Democrats. All of those are state laws. Mm-hmm. Right. All of those things are state laws. That that was not the case originally. Right. The, the when when the electors originally were in, put in place, they were able to vote their conscience. They did. They, they It was just who were you voting for, for, for the for elector. Right. And they would go and vote for the president. And it didn't have to be the person who your state, even though this could have been somebody who wasn't even on the ballot in your state.
2: Sure. Sure.
1: But all of these states, I think, in the 20s began to bind the votes. Mm hmm. Which you know, I don't know if that's ever been tested either.
2: Well, that's interesting. Nationalpopularvote.com. Okay.
1: Mm hmm. So sorry, I took the, almost the entire segment on that, and it's extraordinarily wonky. So we put a lot of people to sleep, and anybody in Australia is just no, like, no, um,
2: no. But you know what? People in Canada are probably all over it because they follow our politics closer than we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, yeah, I got one, and I'll dedicate this one to Howard Hansen, uh, your mentor, okay. and author of um, Healing Leadership with Steve Jeske. Right? Yeah. Uh, there's a new book out called The Fearless Organization by a- Amy Edmondson, a professor at Harvard Business School, and it's just basically saying that in a corporate culture based on fear and intimidation, it may seem that targets get you know achieved, but in the short, but only in the short term. In the long run. The effect is likely to be counterproductive. Studies show that fear inhibits learning. What a concept. And when confronted with the problem, scared workers find ways of covering it up or getting around it with inefficient practices. So she's arguing that, that companies need to create an atmosphere of a psychological safety whereby workers can speak their mind. And one of the stories is from Pixar when they did Toy Story, um what they did was they they created a brain trust and i remember reading about this to give feedback to the directors because it was still rough and the rules were that the feedback should be constructive about the idea but not the person you know don't blame the person and that the filmmaker should not be defensive in response and and that works really well at pixar and they they still do those brain trusts to this day on all their movies and if an employee feels the need to act as a whistleblower. By speaking to external authorities, that suggests managers have not created an environment within the firm where criticism can be aired, and and I just thought, what better way to create psychological safety than to implement after-action reviews?
1: Yep, yep, that's where my mind went too, right? And that, that's even one of the ground rules for after-action reviews, right? These are for learning, not criticism. There are no personal attacks.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> And, and how Howard always talks about anxiety and wh- what do you say, anxiety and innovation or?
1: Creativity. Anxiety and creativity are always inversely proportional to each
2: other. Right, right. So I just, uh, so it sounded pretty interesting. The book is The Fearless Organization. I haven't read it, but because I stopped reading Harvard business people's books except Clayton Christensen, <laughs> but. Uh, i thought that was pretty interesting so wow i can't believe this segment is almost over and folks would like to remind you check out the soul of enterprise.com and as ed said check us out on patreon and uh subscribe to us so you can get bonus episodes and hear a bunch of other stuff that we do that uh you don't normally get on uh, our regular show and now we want to hear from our sponsor sage
4: Forward slash S O E. Have you ever
0: read a book that changed your life?
1: Free writing here on Friday on the Soul of Enterprise, and we are back with our last segment about this. Ron, you know, we've been talking an awful lot, including last week at the 90 Minds Group, about the subscription-based economy. I wanted to talk to you quickly about two advertisements that I saw this week. One of them is from a company called Trade. They build themselves as the Netflix of coffee <laughs> okay. The Netflix of coffee. So what you can do is you subscribe to them, and then you are given uh, all of these different copies that you can then you know, get as part of a subscription service, right, and select which ones you want to see. And, of course, you know, there's the fair trade, the free trade, the, you know, ones that are pooped out by rats and, or something like that,
2: like bats. That's, have cats. you ever
1: heard about this? Yeah, the, yeah, the cats. The cats. Is it
2: cat yes yeah. cat cat oh, poop coffee or cat. something? Dan yeah. Dan has uh Dan has given me some of that. I, I uh-huh. didn't but you know, I didn't think it was all that great, but
1: but <laughs> yeah, well, you tried it. It's but expensive. you tried it. Yeah, no, it's as expensive as all get out. Okay, but the other subscription thing that I and this is from our friend Robert Wood, who was actually at 90 Mines last week. Right. And that is uh, from, where, where did this end up? I, I think I had it in my stack of stuff. Okay, it's called ShopRunner. Have you heard about this? No. Okay, so ShopRunner is a subscription service from UPS that when you sign up for it, gets you free two-day shipping from over 100 retailers. Mm. So in other words, this is Amazon Prime, but you don't have to order from Amazon.
2: Right.
1: And just, um, I won't obviously name them all because it's hundreds of them, but you know, here, so here they have uh, Ann Taylor, AutoZone, uh, Bergdorf Goodman, Bloomingdale's, Calvin Klein, uh, Daytimers, Fatheads, Fanatics, Fry Boots, uh, Hugo Boss, uh, K Jewelers, Lord & Taylor. Uh, let's see. Just I'm scrolling down here. Um, Saks Fifth Avenue, Soma, Simply Chocolate, Sunglass Hut, Timberland, Yves Saint Laurent, 1-800-Flowers. Just How much are is it But that? some. Um. Well, so that's a great question, right? And in some cases, it's free. You have to see because there's an active membership through American Express, Yahoo, and PayPal. Mm. Right. Um, and that so that's the first thing they encourage you to do. And of course, you get uh, three months free if you just sign up. Uh, the The pricing information I saw on it was I th- I want to say seventy dollars a year.
2: Okay. So, it's, it's in there where Prime started, kind of, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. When it was all just two-day shipping for the most part before they started adding all this other stuff.
1: But my, uh, my understanding is that this is a offshoot of uh, UPS that's actually yep. doing
2: this, right? Yep. It, my mind went instantly to, what is FedEx doing? FedEx has to be doing something.
1: Uh, probably right and then here but because here's what is interesting and I think this this goes back a little bit but this, this uh, w- there's r- reports have uh, that I've heard say that sometimes some of this shipping data is worth more when yes. they sell it to other companies sure. than it actually costs them to do the actual shipping,
2: shipping. <laughs> right right <clears throat> oh, that's amazing yeah oh, so, it's a fantastic idea Mm mm-hmm that's a that's a great example for us to use wow yep yep love it the netflix of coffee i'm I. i just i don't know i'm not there yet subscribing (laughs) to razor blades and socks and coffee and you know laundry to I just i'm not there yet but i I, i'm fair enough fair enough but just for convenience you know especially and i'm a fanatical coffee drinker but i i I don't know if i'd subscribe to it i don't know that's interesting though
1: yep yep All right. What do you got, Ron?
2: Certainly validates the model. All right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you probably saw this ed. Oregon. Oregon just became the first state to impose rent control. Yes. <laughs> Most cities do a lot of cities have done it. New York, Santa Monica, Berkeley, San Francisco. I mean, go down the list, but this is the first time a statewide rent control Governor Kate Brown will sign into law. It will cap rent increases to inflation plus seven percent for all all units that are 15 years or older. It also bans no cause evictions. So you can't just boot somebody out because, you know, they're untidy or they throw parties. So all that's going to do is just stop people from renting out, you know, like a back cottage or something. Right. I mean, they're just Mm -hmm. not going to do it if you can't get rid of them. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so, just, you know, there's that whole freedom of association that we just seem to have lost as a country. But um, this is one area, and I hate to say it, Ed, but here we go. There's a consensus of economists on this. 93% of them agreed that rent control reduces the quantity and quality of housing available. And one economist said um, next to bombing, rent control seems in many cases to be the most efficient technique so far known for destroying cities (laughs) and and this i mean this is the reason there's a consensus because we have empirical evidence from around the world and nobody has documented this more than thomas Sowell. Mm mm-hmm that this is just a disaster. It causes shortage. It allows landlords to discriminate easier. Because after all, if you've got a waiting list of thousands of people and mm-hmm. you've done some type of prejudice, well, it's really easy to discriminate, right? You pay no cost for it at that point. Um, and, you know, these supposedly temporary rent control laws tend to become permanent. You know, when New York City passed its rent control?
1: Oh, it was in the 60s, right?
2: It's called the War Emergency Tenant Protection Act,
1: 1943.
2: Oh, my gosh. Wow. I didn't think it was that far back. Yeah, it's still there. Uh, Yeah, a lot of these things are relics of the the war and and post-war. But, I mean, you just look at any city where these things exist, Berkeley, Santa Monica, and it's a disaster. And economists have been documenting this for years. And it's just one of those things. You ask yourself, why does this still exist? Why are we still doing this? Well, politics. Obviously, there's a lot more renters than landlords. So if I'm going for votes, I, I want to get the renters, not the landlords.
1: Yep. Now this is this one is right up there with the minimum wage, right? This is the doesn't even, Walter Williams doesn't even pass the
2: sniff test it doesn't and and the fact that they're doing it statewide is just so over the top. I mean I can, hey, cities you're you know, you're welcome to do it because I have right of exit, right? I can leave a lot easier a city. It's a little harder to leave a state. Yeah. Um,
1: Although people will I, hey, when when's your California going to get around to just making this a, a statewide thing? That'll be they'll just add to the fuel to the fire, Ron.
2: I I know. This this they can't case. let Oregon get ahead of them on I something go, like this. <laughs> oh, that's going to cause competition in <laughs> such a disastrous way. <laughs> we can't. Yeah. You know, we can't let the Russians get a mine shaft gap. Remember that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be bad. Well, just like you can't. Well, it's just like the plastic straws too. You can't. You know, Oregon had a jump on you there too. But San Francisco, they jumped in pretty quickly. And made made sure that that was. Didn't happen. Although yeah. that wasn't a state thing, right? That was
2: just the city of Seattle. And then. I think it was. Uh, no, I think the plastic straws was statewide, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, I, I know they were clamping down on waiters in San Francisco, but I I, I do think there was something about a state law about it. But <laughs> I, I, we talked about it on one of the shows. Yeah. Just what insane. a disaster.
1: All right. Well, I guess we got to wrap it up
2: here, Ron. All right. So, um, while well, this subscription stuff is really interesting, I'm I'm interested now in that ShotRunner thing. That's pretty cool. Um, so, what 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 are we doing next week?
1: Next week, we're going to talk about the, an article that was published a couple weeks back on pricing at Starbucks. We've uh, talked about a number of different things about that, but this is one article kind of brings it one place. So, we're going to talk about pricing at
2: Starbucks. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m., 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.